Well, good morning, church. It's great to be back with you again this morning. Uh, I was gone last week, but man, didn't Jed do a great job last week? Yes, totally. If you haven't told him that, tell him. Uh, Jed's a good preacher. And uh, Jed, wherever you are, if you can hear me, um, I just want you to know. Uh, you did an excellent job last week, and uh, I'll, sit, I'll sit in your church anytime, my friend. Uh, that, was, that was well done. Well, good morning. It's good to be here, and um, I just want you to know that uh, there are warning signs out there in this world. Did you know that? Uh, there are caution places, uh, uh, symbols uh, that we need to, to be aware of. If you go to the Grand Canyon, for example, there are warning signs everywhere. Warning signs that might look something like this. Don't cross. Don't go past here. I don't know if you can see this picture clearly, but there's a whole bunch of people beyond the sign. They're not heeding the warning. Now, I don't know if you also know this. I looked it up this week. Every year, Two or three people die every year because they didn't look at the signs. Or they saw the sign and completely ignored any warning sign that might be there. They just decided that they really needed the best picture. Maybe something like this. I'll risk my life for the sake of a picture. I'll ignore the warning signs because I know better. In fact, it's not just the Grand Canyon where there's a lot of warning signs. If you go to Yellowstone National Park, there are warning signs everywhere. If you've been there, you know this. In Yellowstone, there's all sorts of buffalo or bison or whatever you want to call them. Big animals with horns. These animals are ferocious, actually. They're, they're known to be fairly aggressive and unpredictable. So everywhere in Yellowstone, there's these little signs that say, stay away, 25 yards or more, 75 feet. What? Stay away. These are large, unpredictable animals. And yet, yet, every year, every year, there are people who are trampled or gored, some of them dying because they chose not to heed the sign. In fact, I, I want you to listen to a, a little news video of someone who, who clearly didn't understand, clearly didn't read the sign. Go, go ahead and look this. Shocking video captured the moment. Here's a look. There is good news. Unbelievable. The nine-year-old is okay. She received medical attention and was released. The park says the incident is being investigated. And get this, there was a witness who told CBS this morning that people were petting this yeah. bison. And all the reports are there were a group of about 50 that were very close by. They say stay 75 feet right. away. Petting a bison? Like, what are you doing? What are you going over there? Good bison. Sometimes the warning signs are there for our good. 
Sometimes the signs are there so that we can actually thrive. And church, I, I want you to know that this morning, God's Word has for us a warning sign. It has for us a word of caution. It, it's putting up one of those signs of great hazard. It's saying, we want you to notice something. And we're going to have to listen carefully. Because can I tell you, all of us need to hear this warning. All of us need to look at this sign very carefully. And yet, I, I would dare say, certainly of me, all of us will be tempted to say, I don't need that sign. I don't need to look at that warning. Uh, there's a guy, and he's a preacher by the name of Paul. We've been talking about his church in Corinth. He writes this letter to this church, and he gives them a warning. He paints for them a sign. He gives them a caution. Uh, he, he says, don't cross this line. And he does it for their own good. He does it so that they're not found just about on the edge of the cliff about to fall off. He does it so that they don't go uh, next to the ferocious animal and start petting it and hoping nothing will happen. He gives them a sign, a warning. And this morning, this morning, we, we're going to look at this sign very closely. We're going to put our ear, we're going to lean in and allow our ear and our soul to come close to hearing the warning that God's Word has for us. Because all of us need this. I need this. My children need this. My wife needs this. You need this sign. And this morning, I want to encourage you. Lean in. Put your ear next to God's Word. And hear what He has to say. If you're interested in that one, would you grab your Bible? Grab your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the little rack underneath of the chairs. Go ahead and grab one of the other four. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be today. Grab a Bible. It could be on your phone. It could be in that rack underneath the chair. But grab a Bible. Go to 1 Corinthians Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, and then go to chapter 4. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are sitting there thinking, Mike, you forgot to tell us what the warning is! What's the sign say? What's the hazard? Where's the caution? I'm hesitant to tell you. Because some of you are going to say, I don't need that. I don't have that problem. So do you promise to hear it? Do you promise to listen? 
Because at the epicenter of this issue that Paul is going to tell us about, at the epicenter of a church that's ready to go over the edge, at the very center of a, of a church that's nearing a ferocious beast, is the sign that says, Beware of arrogance. Avoid overconfidence. When you begin to experience the symptoms of pride and entitlement, seek spiritual counsel immediately. The sign that Paul paints for us this morning, the sign, the epicenter, of a church that wants to do ministry and live like the church in a messy world, says beware. There are those even in the church who are susceptible to pride, to overconfidence, to entitlement, and to arrogance. Notice what he says. I'm going to begin in verse 8. Paul's kind of sarcastic here. Reigning like kings and not without us? Oh, how I wish that I really had begun to reign so that we also might reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession like those condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the entire universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ. Oh, no, but not you. Uh, you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. We, you are honored, but we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. We were cursed. When we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up until this very moment. I'm writing this not to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Do you catch it? Underneath of Paul's words, there is a church that's shimmering on the edge. They have already arrived. They are saying to themselves, we are pretty good. I mean, we are all that in a box of cookies. And Paul makes known in verse 9, he says, uh, it seems like God has put us on display at the end of the procession. What he is talking about there is in Roman days, the Roman generals, when they had gained a great victory, would go trouncing through the streets with the, the fodders of war behind them. And he's saying somehow, some way it is that you Corinthians have arrived so much so uh, that, that God has somehow made you so special uh, that somehow you're the generals and us who are the apostles, uh, the ones who gave birth to you spiritually, uh, we're way at the end waiting to go into the arena to compete with the gladiators. How does that happen? 
And in doing so, Paul is saying, I want you to be warned. I'm putting up a caution sign. You need to avoid this kind of arrogance and this overconfidence, this entitlement that you are putting out your chest and saying, oh, look at us. Aren't we really special? And the warning for the Corinthian church is a warning for Whiting Christian church, isn't it? Is it possible, church, that all of us in this room need to heed a warning of overconfidence, of pride in our spirituality and our walk with Jesus as we journey with Him? Is it possible that if we are to become a church that lives like the church in a messy world, that we need to be aware of our own arrogance? I think this is for everyone. I think this is for those who are noobs, those who have seen many sermons. For the new Christian, sometimes the spiritual arrogance can kind of sound like, I've been baptized. I'm free. I've been saved. Jesus is a friend of mine. Oh, I... I know my language is not good. I know my sexuality is out of whack. I know I don't treat my spouse or my children well. But after all, I've been saved. I've been baptized. Jesus is a friend of mine. I'm free. For some of those who are new in the faith, an arrogance can begin to creep into your life to say, "Ah, after all, we're just all sinners, right? It's all good. And Paul is warning against that sort of arrogance and pride and saying, oh, you've got a long ways to go. You've got a lot to learn. And for those of us who have sat and listened to a few more sermons than others, this warning is for us too, isn't it? Oh, this one's a little harder But sometimes when we get older, we can begin to say stuff like, I'm older than you. I've been a Christian longer than you've been alive. I know what's right. And I not only know what's right, I know what's right for you and for this church and for how you should live your life. And the pride begins to creep into a spiritual sort of legalism. I've heard it before. You probably have too. The King James Bible is the only Bible. If you don't read from the King James, then you are obviously less of a Christian than I am because I know that the King James Bible has all the words of Scripture. Maybe that's an easy one. How about the preacher on a Sunday morning? He needs to wear a tie and a suit coat in order to respect Jesus. Oops. Can you hear that? How about this one? 
We're stepping on toes now, you understand. Have you heard the one that if we are to partner with Jesus in the time of communion, that when we take the cup and the juice and the little wafer of bread, that if there's not a box in front of the sanctuary that says, do this in remembrance of me, that we haven't really appreciated Jesus. Uh, what about the one that says, at the end of the sermon, if there's not an altar call, if there's not an invitation, if people aren't coming down a center aisle, then the gospel of Jesus wasn't really preached. What about that one? Have you heard those before? Oh, there are others. Do you begin to see how even for the older Christian, notice I didn't say the more mature Christian, just the older one, how Paul says that the arrogance for all Christians can begin to seep into the fabric of how they go about living. And Paul says to all of us, new Christians, old Christians, Beware of overconfidence. Uh, beware of thinking that you have arrived. Be cautious of pride and arrogance and entitlement. Because you may just be at the edge. Uh, you, you may have come up against a ferocious beast. Beware of your own pride. And so we lean in so that we can listen to the words of wisdom from Paul, from God's Word. We put our ear to the Word uh, so that we might hear the advice of how we might heed this Word of wisdom. One of the things Paul says to this church, he says, hey, hey if you want to avoid, if you want to read this sign well, then one of the things that you need to be sure to do is uh, don't read too much of your own press. You don't get to be the judge of all of your success and failure as a Christian. In fact, there's only one who gets to decide that. Look with me, would you, in verse 3 of chapter 4. And Paul says, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will bring to light what is hidden in the darkness and will explode. He's going to expose the motives of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, until Jesus comes on this side of heaven, uh, when heaven touches, on this side of heaven touching earth, uh, we have to be aware of self-defining who we think we are in Christ. Sure, our identity is found in Him, uh, but let's not become puffed up. Let's, let's not think that we have arrived. Let's not begin to think uh, that we get to define our own success in the Lord and walk around like everybody else needs to be like us. Who gets to define your success and failure as a Christian? Me? 
Does Roxanne get to do that for me? Does Dave get to do that for me? No. Uh, do I get to do that for me? No. Paul says, there's one vote that counts when it comes to your success and failure as a Christian. And it's not yours. And it's not everybody else's either. It's God's. God alone is the one who gets to judge who is successful in their Christian walk. And so Paul is saying to a church that has been puffed up, whose chest is, is raised, who has said, look at us, aren't we everything in a, in a box of cookies? Uh, when he looks at that church, he says, hey, be careful. Don't read too much of your own press. Very recently, I had the opportunity to meet a woman. And in a past life, a couple of decades ago, she was an extraordinary athlete. I met her, and the first conversation, as she is coaching, she coaches runners. And being a runner myself, I kind of leaned in, interested. And she was talking to me about a runner that she had coached just the year before. And the words that came out of her mouth were, were really striking to me, especially later on when I learned more about her past. She said, yep, she's the greatest runner this community and this school has ever had. And I thought, wow, that's pretty high praise. Now here's what struck me later. I found out later that this coach at that school, had gone on from that school and she had been, become a seven-time All-American. Actually, 16-time All-American and she, had, uh, she was seven times a national champion. She's in the NCAA Hall of Fame. I, I don't even know what that takes, but it takes a whole lot. And here she was, saying to me in a conversation about coaching, that person over there. Could she have read her own press? Could she have been walking around like, yeah, you need to learn from me because I've been there and done that and I'm in the Hall of Fame. Is it possible that some of us think that we've already arrived in the Hall of Fame? Is it possible that some of us think as Christians that we're already there? And Paul is warning us, don't read too much of your own press. God's vote is the one that counts. And as he continues to step on our toes, as he continues to give us wisdom about this warning of arrogance and pride and entitlement, he says, you know what? I want you to know and remember that you stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before you. None of us has gotten to where we are as a Christian on our own, have we? So he says, don't get too big for your britches. Look at verse 7 with me, would you? In verse 7, he says, 
For who makes you different from anyone else? He gives us three questions. Who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Now go down to verse 15. He says, even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. He's saying, hey, why is it that you think you are so special? Don't you realize that I have worked with you? That I have come alongside of you? That we have worked together in the gospel of Jesus? But somehow, somehow, there you are up in the box seats, and I'm down here in the muck and the mire, and, and you think that I don't get it. Paul's saying, hey, we don't get to where we are as Christians on our own. He's saying all that you have and all that you are is because of God. Don't forget that. Because if you do, you're going to begin to puff yourself up and be prideful and boastful in things that you have no business being prideful in. Is anybody here a Rocky fan? You know, like Rocky Balboa? Yo, Adrian! Anybody? Okay, I'm probably the only one. There's like a, a million Rocky movies. Okay? And one of like, as Rocky fans go, one of the ones that is thought of as like the worst is Rocky V. Okay? Rocky is retired now, and, but he, he takes this guy, Tommy Gunn, under his wing and teaches him how to box. But as the movie unfolds, Tommy begins to think that he's really good. And he forgets who his teacher was. And at the end, it's Tommy's pride that kills him. As a parent, as a teacher, as a preacher, as a leader, there are a couple of words that when I'm parenting or teaching or coaching that I really hate to hear. Just two words. I know. Have you ever heard that? I know. No. No, I'm sorry. You don't know. I am trying to teach you and to tell you and to inform you something that you clearly don't know. You do not know yet. I hate those two words. And Paul is saying to the church, are we looking to those outside the church and to those inside the church? And are we having an attitude of pride and arrogance and overconfidence that says, I know. I already know that. Be careful. There's a warning of pride. Don't cross the line. The other thing that Paul is going to say 
the thing that helps us and our soul figure out how to live out what it looks like to be a church in a messy world. He says, imitate me. He said, there's a leader in your life, not because he's perfect, but because he's driven and he drives and focuses your attention on Jesus. Look at verse 16. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I'm going to send to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. And he'll remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Imitate me. Now Paul in other places is going to confess to everyone, hey, I, I, I have been the worst of sinners. This is not about Paul's perfection. Paul is not saying here, I want you to parade after me and I want you to like all of my tw tweets and I want you to just uh, uh, you know, like all of my Facebook posts and, and copy everything that I have on Instagram. Paul is not doing this so that he can be lifted up. He is doing it uh, so that the church of Corinth and those who follow Jesus might find Jesus more. He's trying to say, hey, as I focus and I drive my life toward Jesus, would you follow me as I'm going His direction? And he gives us some characteristics here that allow us to find those kinds of people that are worthy of imitation. He says in verse 1 of chapter 4, this then is how you ought to regard us, as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Do you, do you hear how he self-identifies? He doesn't say, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm an apostle. You have to listen to me. He says, hey, I am a servant. And the characteristic of someone that you want to follow is someone who says, look, I'm, I'm not all that in a box of chocolates. I'm trying to figure this thing out just like you are, but I want to be a servant of Jesus. And there's a humility that runs through their life that's unmistakable. Have you known those folks? I hope you do. I have a list of my own. There's a short list. I think of people in my life who have meant a great deal to me, and I think, yeah, I want to I be like them. A couple weeks ago, one of those guys is on my list, David Haynes. Some of you know David. He's just this wonderful, like, I don't know how old David is. But man, I want to be like David. Why? Because there's just this humility about how he carries his life. He wants to be a servant of Jesus, and I think, I, I want to be like David in that. And there's been other people like Bob Lowry and Chuck Sackett and Mark Krause. And I'm sure that you have your list too. Uh, but the characteristic that drives us to want to be like them is because they're humble and they're servants and they want to be like Jesus. The other thing he tells us comes in verse 2. They're leaders and they recognize their responsibility and they're accountable to it. He says, now it's required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. He says, I get it. 
I've been entrusted with this ginormous thing. I have the Gospel. I'm going to give the mystery of the Kingdom of God, the reign and rule of the Lord. I want to challenge people to become slaves for Christ. And in doing so, I'm accountable. I'm going to stand before Jesus. And I recognize who I serve. You see, Paul's changing the game, isn't he? He's saying to us and to this church, he's saying, you know what? Power isn't power. Power is weakness. Wisdom isn't wisdom. Wisdom is foolishness. Victory isn't victory. Victory is slavery. It's a church. We're in the Grand Canyon. We're in Yellowstone. We're wanting to live like the church in a messy world. And there's a sign. It's a warning. It's a caution. Avoid overconfidence. When you see symptoms of pride and entitlement, seek spiritual help immediately. May those who have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit has said to Whiting Christian Church. Let's pray. Gracious God, we love you. And we thank you for your goodness. And we, we ask that you will be with us in, in a really special way. In a way that, Lord, pierces our heart and, and divides our whole life and just lays us bare before you. So, Lord, I... I pray and I repent before you and before the church for those times when pride has crept into my own soul. And I pray, Lord, the repentance of our church and our people, that if we have been overconfident or prideful or arrogant, Lord, that we repent before you. That we say, I don't want that. That's not what I'm here to do. I want to be a servant and Lord, humble us. Help us to come on our knees and know who You are. Lord, help us to be Your church in this messy world by avoiding arrogance, pride, overconfidence, and entitlement. We love You. In Jesus' holy and precious name, Amen.